We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome into the RotoWire NFL podcast brought to you by Yahoo and Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports. I am your host, John McKechnie, and hanging out with you as always, Mario Puig. It is week 16. We are almost to the end of the regular season. We've got a full 16 game wait. slate ahead of us to tackle on this podcast. We got three games on Saturday. We don't have a Thursday game. It's wild times. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do today now. I had this whole plan, this whole Thursday ritual of getting up at a certain time and you know, staring at the wall for a certain number of hours, coming here, doing this podcast, going home and watching the Thursday game as per my sentence. And yeah, now I'm like, what the hell do people do when they're not uh, writing articles about football or watching football or looking at football stats or watching thursday night football games Hell if i, I know. remember what i used to do so uh i don't know i might get into some weird kind of hobby today or something nice yeah look forward to, to hearing your report back 
on that front. But uh, let's go ahead. Let's jump into the slate for this weekend. Let's start out. We'll go chronologically this time around. Let's hit those Saturday games first off. We got the Texans going up against the Buccaneers. The Texans coming off, uh, you know, they got off the ropes after their disappointing loss against the uh, Broncos. They were able to get the win on the road in Tennessee, uh, a very crucial win for their playoff uh, aspirations and for their hopes at winning the division there. So big win for them. And then the Buccaneers, I can't say, I can't thank them enough. Like <laughs> uh, I, I was panicking all Sunday morning, trying to, trying to reason my way out of starting Jameis Winston. And I couldn't, I ended up, I actually lost uh, while we were recording last weekend or last Thursday, I put a bid in on Jimmy Garoppolo. And if I won that, I would have started Jameis and not really thought twice about it. So I lost that by a dollar, ended up picking up David Blau. And I was like, I can't start David no. Blau. So I ended up started starting Jameis. And I had been riding Mike Evans uh, all year. He obviously was out, so I picked up Rashad Perriman. And it's just one of those things where uh, the, the fantasy gods looked down upon me and smiled and gave me a ridiculous amount of points. Like I pretty much buried my opponent by the time that like halftime of the early games happened on Sunday. Is this Chris Benzine that you're talking about? Uh, yes. Yeah, I saw, I saw you You were agonizingly close to the doubling him up in the state. I, yep. <laughs> I, I, I saw the score and I was like, oh, John must be happy. Oh, wait, John's probably really mad about this because he got so close. The optics. Uh, Chris, yeah, Chris Benzine is, is kind of like John's nemesis in the, the office because he, he just badgers John about uh, whatever it is that's going wrong in John's life. And, and so almost, almost had the the 360 windmill i guess you had the 360 windmill dunk it was pretty emphatic you're not doing like a flip as you do it but you got close (laughs) right so uh, very very satisfying w there and and again thank you to the tampa bay buccaneers so and the lions yeah and to the lions for being very amenable to Jameis winston with a broken thumb just absolutely torching them uh to the ground things not going well in Detroit. Um, so how do you see this game breaking down? It's in Tampa Bay, but the the Texans understandably road favorites here, three-point road favorites. What are we looking at here from a fantasy perspective? Well, there's so many injuries, and in that Tampa Bay offense, that receiver, they're, all, they're also down Scott Miller, in addition to Chris Godwin getting hurt last week. Mike Evans had been out, of course. So now they're down to Perriman still at one spot, and apparently in two wides, it's going to be Justin Watson at the other spot. I would guess he'll play inside the the Godwin position when they go three wide. And their number three receiver, I guess, is Ishmael Hyman, who was like a backup at James Madison. So Not familiar with his stylings. Yeah, I don't um, – I, I know he's fast, but I just don't know what he could realistically do. So we might see a lot of two wide, a lot of Justin Watson outside. Um, those the Houston defense is without Benardrick McKinney, who's their best uh, non JJ Watt front seven player, and yeah, I guess the Tampa Bay side we're going to have to keep an eye on Carlson Davis, who was limited in practice today. I don't know if that means he got hurt today, but he had been their shadow corner in recent weeks, so he would probably or he might. There's a good chance that he would shadow DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, so if he's out, that would put. Uh, just two rookie corners at the top for Tampa Bay and Jamel Dean and Sean uh, Bunting Murphy, who both look good, but uh, you know they're presumably using Davis as a shadow for a reason. They probably have reason to think he's their best corner. So if he's out, that would make things a little uh, more difficult for the Buccaneers when Tennessee goes, or sorry, when uh, Houston goes three wide, because uh, obviously Kenny Stills, Will Fuller. Running against your backups, backups is not kind of like what you wanted to set up there. And do you, do you think Houston will kind of? 
ride that formation here because you know the the run game here could be effectively off the table here no matter what bill o'brien wants to do i mean tampa bay we've talked about it all year long so strong against the run and like you said if they're a little bit compromised in the back end with what houston has in terms of its strengths in the passing game with with, you know that insane receiving core do you think they just go all out attack mode with three with three ride uh, in this one yeah and if Jameis plays well that could give them extra reason to do so like last week the Texans weren't particularly threatened by the Titans after that Anthony Ferkser interception fumble whatever you'd want to call it so they didn't give many snaps to Kenny Stills but if Jameis Winston is having a game like last week then they probably need to give Kenny Stills 60 snaps because it means they're going three wide pretty much all the time whereas last week uh, I don't know if he only played in two wide sets but he had fewer than 30 snaps I want to say so he was only getting on the field during three wide, I want to say. And, uh, yeah, so he needs he needs three wide to be the approach here. If it's two tight ends, then it might mean that the Texans have a lead for whatever reason and don't feel any desperation to catch back up. Okay, and, you know, you, you mentioned the wrinkle of uh, Jameis maybe being able to put pressure on the on the Texans to, you know, keep, th- keep pace on the scoreboard. Do you anticipate that happening here? I mean, I almost feel like last week was a fluke that uh, beyond all possible hope and it could come crashing down this week, even though Houston is pretty bad against the pass. Yeah, it's one of those things, I, I don't know how to describe Jameis correctly I don't know how to anticipate him correctly maybe his good game last week was because he played better than he did in another game where he had bad results or maybe he was just playing the Lions and maybe that's the reason why he did well maybe the reasons he did well even if it was just because of the Lions maybe those would apply in this case with the Texans being beat up and not particularly good in the first place so I I guess as long as Jameis Winston it doesn't suffer efficiency-wise because of those receivers being hurt, then I think you can be optimistic for kind of the up-tempo, pass-happy approach in this one. But with Jameis, I, I tend to believe the matchups don't really matter that much. And so uh, he might just be playing well on his own account right now, and that could continue too. So I'm more, I guess, optimistic than pessimistic, but just with that always caveat, like, it all could go horribly wrong too like he could finish quarterback one or quarterback 25 i don't know how you reliably uh, guess which but i'm leaning more toward quarterback one in this particular matchup yeah i mean when it when i saw him throw the pick on what was it his first drop back last week uh, it wasn't a, i don't think it was the first one but it was the first drive and it was specifically what that hawaii linebacker who everyone said like this guy can't cover yeah and he's like he's purely a two down run stopping specialist he can't cover and uh Jameis did not see him when he was playing robber he, he just sat slightly off to the side Jameis did not see him at all threw it right to him and when i saw that i left the apartment and went to an alpaca farm that's how i dealt with it <laughs> that's why so yeah actually never mind all those other things if John goes to an alpaca farm on Saturday, then Jameis will do well. Uh, means Perriman, whoever, will do well, and that Watson will need to throw the ball. Uh, so, yeah, if you're a Kenny Stills owner or a Perriman owner, Justin Watson, the tight ends, whoever, uh, just hope that John uh, – does it need to be on by choice or can someone, like, kidnap you and take you to an alpaca farm? I think, it, yeah, if, if I'm – yeah, if my presence is just at an alpaca farm, it counts whether it's – on my own volition or not if you needed to be in like a certain peaceful like mind state then i would say like you'll want to use ether or something but if you can get john into the the van geometro whatever you got uh, just get him to an alpaca farm and you know if you don't and you play Jameis winston 
and it goes wrong, you have no one to blame but yourself. Exactly. So we, we said it here. We laid out all the guidelines. If you don't follow them, that's your own darn fault in our opinion. Let's move on over to the Patriots going up against the Bills. Uh, huge matchup here. The Bills coming off a clunky win against the Steelers, but the Steelers, you know, with their defense can make anyone look a little bit shaky offensively. This Patriots obviously have a great defense in their own right as well. They kind of got back on track last week going up against the Bengals. I think they needed that. But the Patriots also are just completely bereft of offensive weapons at this point going up against a Bills defense that is really tough. Yeah, I don't know if there were injury details informing any of it. And if if there were, I don't know if they no longer apply or if they still apply. But the Patriots used a different approach at receiver last week than they had in any of the previous games. Like when they first traded for Mohamed Sanu, he was just playing right outside receiver. Philip Dorsett pretty much was just playing left outside and Kilharry was playing a little bit left outside when he got there. Last week, Mohamed Sanu and, and Kilharry, uh, they seemed to kind of split the non-Edelman's uh, two wide receiver set uh, snaps, but they basically played the same position. Uh, so they, they both played a little bit in the slot, a little bit outside, both the left and the right even splits. So it looks like it's going to be Harry and Sanu either, you know, if it's two wide, then they're the outermost receiver. If it's three wide, then... Uh, Edelman moves inside, and the other guy takes the other outside spot, but they were both playing left and right. So Sanu and Harry should basically see the same guys throughout the game, and I think getting Harry involved is good. I know he might have been raw in some way or another, maybe missing some details in practice or another, but he's the most talented athletically of those receivers, and you saw uh, with that touchdown that he had in his first start what can happen if you just get him the stupid ball, like even if he's not running routes to the you know cerebral level that you'd like he's also a guy who if you just throw a football at him he's really good at getting it and running with it afterwards so i think it's good if they get him up to speed uh, jacoby myers was doing fine but harry gives them an explosive element that they just can't uh, imitate otherwise and they got him and Sanu on the field more by basically benching philip dorsett so i think you can expect that to keep going on going forward because be it because of Brady or Dorsett, like those two just aren't working as a credible downfield threat, whereas Harry has a chance to do it. And uh, I don't know. I'm not exactly banking on him getting in a lot of targets or anything, but if they need a big play downfield, I don't know what they can do but go to him. That's that's totally fair. And like like you said, uh, Harry has a lot of intriguing traits to him, and, and he's only going to get better from here. But with the with the Bills, do you think that they're going to be cognizant of that and they're going to stick Trey White on on Harry? And Trey White seems to be you know kind of rounding into you know his full form and being a, a lockdown corner. Yeah, I don't know. They they do use him as a shadow corner whenever they use a shadow corner. I just don't know if they wait until there's like a fast receiver before they use him that way, or if they uh, if they're going to be less likely to use him on Harry because of Harry being quite a bit bigger. I don't know if things like that matter to them. Uh, they might just kind of go uh, not with a shadow, but just kind of you know letting letting things go in with just the same thing that they do in the non-shadowing cases, which is basically like give Levi Wallace a bunch of help because he's slow. Uh, let White kind of handle the single coverage without as much help as the other two who need more help. I think that Edelman is is the kind of player who will avoid White in any case. So. I don't know if Edelman was limited by injury last week or if the game script allowed them to just kind of leave him on the shelf, but he only played 40 snaps. Normally he'll go over 60. They say there's some tendon damage in his left yeah, knee. He's, he's definitely playing hurt. I just don't know if it's like 
if the Bengals had made a close game of it, he might have played 60 snaps. Oh, uh, okay. Because uh, he only played 40. Like, Sanu played, I want to say, 59. So I think in this game you're going to see Edelman go back to the lead for snaps at receiver, and I don't see anything matchup-wise that would be problematic for him. But if Brady can't keep the safeties back a little bit and Jordan Poyer and Michael Hyde are basically lining up like rovers every single play, that could make it tough to get the ball to the slot if you can't do something to push those safeties back. And I don't know. Maybe Brady can, maybe he can't, but last week he didn't do it. He, he had nothing at all going in that game. It was like James White did everything that Brady did, and Brady still did almost nothing. So maybe maybe they would have done something a little different if it, against like a more uh, pressing opponent, such as the Bills, but I don't know what you can take for granted. So I think both offenses look pretty dreary in this one. Uh, Josh Allen I don't think can read defenses still. Uh, if, I was, if I was Brian Dable... I would pretty much go like a wishbone offense, except for when I'm throwing deep to John Brown. If I'm throwing the ball, I don't want to waste my time with any of these underneath kind of targets with Allen. I don't trust him to read things correctly. So I want to make as many passes of his as possible. Just play action. Look, is John Brown getting open a little bit? No? All right, well, I'll run it. And if, if he is getting a little bit open, chuck it, whatever. Um, but they want to keep the ball on the ground between Allen and Devin Singletary, I think. Because otherwise, you're just asking for a lot of things to go wrong. Although, yes. uh, Jonathan Jones, the nickel corner, the slot corner, is out. So maybe that matters. I kind of doubt it would against Allen, though. Okay, just because Allen can't really you know, surgically operate the, you know, the way that you would like an NFL quarterback in the intermediate game. Yeah, I think he's an NFL street quarterback. Like You want to keep him in improvised plays, broken plays, uh, things where you, the task is simple, like just run here or throw it that way as far as you can stuff like that because if it's if it's all these conditional progression based designs he just kind of can get lost uh, pretty easily and he's not accurate either so what was your favorite guy to play with in nfl street oh i don't remember uh that was that was what like 2003 or something yeah it was it was a while back but you could unlock uh ronnie lot probably like jamal lewis or something oh yeah he would really crush people in that one do the break tackle thing over and over yeah he was basically always in game breaker mode even when you weren't specifically in on fire was yes yeah i I had i actually did play that game a lot it was awesome too but then i kind of kind of lost track of it i guess yeah switched over to like real madden or something but yeah that game was great anyway back to this one um patriots minus six that's a lot of points but uh, i still think the patriots kind of have the bills number even though the bills i think the patriots are safe here i'm just trying to figure out like how much how much how much space between them and the door and the ground when they you know run underneath it at the last second like i i don't know if it's going to be a close call or if they're going to kind of jog through the door uh i I can imagine it being pretty close just because i I think brady really is busted and i think they really don't know for sure how to fix it because if they knew for sure how to fix it they probably would come up with a better idea than let's trade a second round pick for muhammad sanu yeah and you know we're into week 16 now like this yeah, shell's busted something's wrong with that guy i don't know uh, I, I just don't see what the patriots have going for them aside from their defense and their reputation yeah that i the venue. honestly same here so uh bills have a chance to really kind of flip, flip the table as far as uh their standing in the in the afc east and, and you know how how dangerous they can be in the playoffs here i think this is a big opportunity for them to be viewed uh in a different light now um if but if they lose to the patriots on saturday i think that they still end up getting considered maybe a cut below the rest of the afc's elite uh let's move on over to the 49ers going up against the rams rams don't have a ton to 
play for. The 49ers uh, blew a gimme game last weekend, so they need this one here. Six and a half point favorites at home are the 49ers. Yeah, I don't know what how to, how to explain last week other than just team came out flat for no good reason. Garoppolo off for no good reason. I don't really know. Uh, Kyle Shanahan had so many good play designs so many so many good game plans generally that we're getting emmanuel sanders and debo samuel open it was just kittle doing anything last week i think you knew that jimmy garoppolo was not as good as his numbers in the past few games but there should have been a middle ground in play there like he shouldn't have gone from whatever 350 and three or four touchdowns down to 180 and whatever useless numbers yeah against the falcons yeah against the falcons and those guys shouldn't have been able to cover really any of his receivers so it's just it's a bad look and i I think garoppolo you know goes more toward that baseline in this game like even if he doesn't resemble the the good quarterback that we maybe got accustomed to got our hopes up for in the previous games the rams defense though after a game like garoppolo had it's like i can't take a whole lot for granted there just because you know, Donald has those games sometimes where he just wrecks things. Fowler's been good all year. Uh, the matchups cornerback-wise could be kind of difficult. I, I don't remember if Troy Hill was uh, missing time. I thought I thought he got hurt in that last game a little bit against, against Dallas. But uh, in any case, I don't think the Rams are that bad. Uh, I think Dallas was more so just kind of progressing to their mean. And, and you know, the, the, the Rams are kind of the victims of that sort of uh that sort of correction over the longer term so yeah it looks like troy hill might be out jalen ramsey uh maybe he's a problem for emmanuel sanders maybe not but uh debo should have a favorable matchup i don't even know who the other outside corner is roby coleman's tough in the slot but uh debo or sanders should be able to get isolated into a favorable matchup and kittle of course uh I don't even he's 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 his own category of player I guess yeah there's nothing there's no textbook as to how to deal with whatever he is so matchup doesn't really matter that much for him um but as long as Donald and Fowler don't get to Garoppolo too badly I feel like the general rule of Shanahan will come up with good game plans that maximizes players like that should come back into play here uh after one week off and hopefully just hopefully there was no reason for it uh, as much as that, you know, will kind of just infuriate the people who invested in Garoppolo in that one game where it should have been easy. Yeah, it really should have. But I still feel like the 49ers are may- maybe the the team to beat in the NFC, if not like one of the top two. I, I think it's yeah. between them and the Seahawks. I know the, the, the Saints have been playing really well of late, too. But the, I mean, the, the 49ers went down and beat them. Uh, I will so. say that 49ers defense is getting Sherman back, but they still might be without Jakiski Tart and um, D Ford. They're getting Kwan Williams too. So uh, yeah, I generally think bad golf shows up as long as as long as that 49ers defense is even like 75 percent of what it was in the games before last week. Yeah, last time out the the Rams were held to a mere seven points going up against the 49ers, and that was at home. Goff was 13 of 24 for 78 yards in that one. Truly one of the worst individual performances I can remember seeing from a quarterback. Yeah, and Goff was awful against Dallas. They should have. He's got a dinged up thumb now too. Yeah, and I feel like he was bad before that too. So. I think we saw with Goff, it's like he needs everything to be just perfect and he needs to be on one of his better days to even be viable as an NFL quarterback. Like, he's just bad. And uh, McVay might be good, but it's hard to keep Goff hidden, keep keep everything favorable for him. So even if they're beat up, I mean, like Bosa, I don't know if that defensive tackle's out again. I notice he's not on the injury report. Hopefully that doesn't mean IR. 
But I generally expect Goff, uh, especially since he couldn't capitalize on a favorable Dallas matchup, I would imagine even if this were favorable, just have to assume a bad quarterback will generally play poorly. Okay, and what does that do for you if you have a Robert Woods or a Cooper Cup? In PPR especially, you can't really bench those guys just because Goff, even if he throws for something like 160 yards in a game, there's a good bet that you know Cup, Woods, and I guess Higby now – uh, will comprise like 150 of that because he just can't get the ball to Brandon Cooks. It's like the few times he does throw to him, he gets the guy killed. Um, so it's it's not going to be Cooks. I don't think we can expect – I mean, I guess it could be um, Gurley doing something, but I doubt it. So, yeah, it's like Goff can have a bad game, and especially in PPR, Woods and Cup, because he's so dependent on them, can still be useful. Uh, but it does feel a little greedy, I think, to to hope for two – uh, maybe two will be okay, but no more than two of Higby, Woods, and Cup seem likely to make their owners especially happy. And it could be Higby who leads the way again because he might have the easiest matchup of that group. I mean, Tart is out; those corners are in. Right, exactly. So he could be, you know, facing the you know the easiest path uh, to yardage and, and targets of uh, that group. Uh, a lot of people. Uh, got victimized by that Cup garbage time touchdown last week. I had some friends send me some brutal looking screenshots of of what that touchdown ended up doing to their bottom line dang that sucks um, <laughs> yeah yeah I, I, it's too bad they didn't have cup i guess this week because yeah i think i think golf will struggle in this game i i don't know how i feel about six and a half points but i know i don't want to pick the rams to cover it right exactly exactly so uh, i lean uh the niners there as well in their they're at home they, they need this one uh, especially after last week uh, let's move on to the team that beat them last week the atlanta falcons seven and a half point favorites at home going up against the jags the jags just had a magical comeback to close things out in oakland last week gardner Minshew said he's never seen so many middle fingers um at once uh truly a, a remarkable lasting image i'm sure and he also mentioned that um Closing out the uh, the Coliseum uh, will probably be an Aflac trivia question in twenty years. So uh, good on Gardner Minshew. I love that guy. Yeah, that the Raiders are really stupid. Um, <laughs> I guess it was kind of a fitting exit for Derek Carr. Yes, it was. Uh, disgraceful team. I don't know what to make of the Falcons against the Jaguars. These these teams are both very weird to me. They've both had a lot of fluctuation all year. Both teams have had problems on their offensive lines, pass blocking and jacksonville now down miles jack i don't know if their defense is anything other than just kind of bad i uh, i guess dj hayden's good that's and josh uh josh you know the, the pass rush is good there of course but the run defense hasn't been good all year even at their best some of the coverage is broken down uh the middle of the field i don't know if, if jack being out makes them a little worse there so i think you can like the setup for austin hooper seems like he's due to kind of surge toward the front of the target share in that offense both because he's getting healthy and because uh, Julio Jones kind of had his big game last week which was a easy to overlook but it was a pretty insane game to post those 134 yards on uh it was like Ryan threw for like 205 uh so but you can you could look at 134 yards and say like that's a good game even if the quarterback threw for f- twice as many yards so to do it on on just 205 or whatever ryan did was was kind of insane right uh, by julio but uh, i don't think he'll normally take on anywhere near that share of of the the passing production so hooper gets going i think and i don't think there's really anything else to chase at receiver because russell gage even if he does hold all the slot snaps like i don't like dj hayden as a matchup for him 
the other receiver spot is just kind of a mess without Calvin Ridley. So I think Hooper has to get going, and maybe it's two straight big games for Julio because uh, aside from Devontae Freeman, and, and he does look good against that Jacksonville run defense that's been so bad this year, aside from Freeman, Julio, and Hooper, there's just nothing viable on this team. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Christian Blake is not an answer, not even in like a deep league for, for streaming purposes there. Um, and then on the Jags side, I know DJ Chark's been a little bit limited this week, so how's this offense looking uh, against the Falcons? If, if Chark is in, that would be a big deal. I don't really think this Atlanta defense got good all of a sudden. I think it's more that Garoppolo and company failed last week. So if D.D. Westbrook, D.J. Chark, and Chris Conley are all available, I guess, I, I guess, especially given the time of year it is, I feel some relative optimism for Minshew, even though he hasn't been good since replacing Nick Foles. But I don't believe the Falcons' defense is as good as anyone wants to say it is, and just playing in a dome this time of the year is kind of reassuring for an, any given passing game. So I like Minshew a little bit, but yeah, not knowing the specific condition of Chark really makes that more difficult because he is their best receiver by a few magnitudes. I think some people will want to gravitate or at least chase, uh, however, however you want to say it, uh, the Chris Conley two touchdowns from last week. Yeah, I, I don't really want to argue against going after him just because i can imagine you know it could be both true that he's due for heavy regression and yet chasing him might still be the best option for a lot of people so i don't want to say it's a bad idea or anything but yeah you you can't bank on anything in particular with conley he's normally not going to make much of an impact underneath uh, so sometimes that puts like a, a thin margin of error on his pass attempts like they're sometimes downfield and, and not as easy to get to as the ones that D.D. Westbrook would get by contrast. But Conley is very fast, and the Falcons' corners, uh, they're not exactly lacking for speed, but they have coverage breakdowns all the time, and it's easier to have coverage breakdown when it's a really fast guy in question. Exactly. So if, if Minshew can get it uh, in his vicinity, then it could be trouble for that Falcons' secondary. Um, I don't trust the Falcons with more than a touchdown, though. Both of these teams are so stupid. I don't trust them with anything at all. No, exactly. So uh, I I will probably just hold my nose and and take the Jags against the spread in this one at the very least. Uh, Let's jump on over to the Ravens going up against the Browns. Last time we saw these two teams play, the Browns put an absolute beatdown on the Ravens, uh, one that I think caused an existential crisis uh for the ravens that has since been obviously corrected the ravens now 10 point favorites going into cleveland here uh cleveland kind of just drowning at this point that uh, ugly joke. ugly embarrassing crap effort uh last weekend in arizona there is a hilarious moment i forget who the uh commenters or the announcing team was uh for that game but they were talking about um who's the defensive coordinator steve wilkes for the, yeah. yeah, so they were talking about how, oh, I've been in the locker room where, you know, my, my coach uh, w- was going up against his former team and, you know, he really was able to rally the troops and get everyone, you know, everyone rallied around him, get him getting him play, playing hard and, you know, just added on there that, well, I haven't seen really any effort from the Browns here in, the, in this one on that side of the ball, so... Take that for what you will. And yeah, I mean, I agree that I thought the Cardinals had an easy time moving the ball against the Browns. Uh, The Ravens, obviously, they will be rested going into this game, having played last Thursday. How do you see this one shaking out? Uh, I don't know how to explain like the recent defense of the Browns and Ravens while also making any sense of the first time they played this year. I tend to think 
you know, th- th- these these things that get so extreme, either up or down with the NFL teams, like they usually don't last. Usually, when you're thinking like this team is the worst ever, I can't believe how bad these idiots are. Like they'll kind of, uh, if only to be a pain the next week, they'll they'll put forth like a better effort a lot of the time. But sometimes there has to be truly like a point from which the team never comes back. And I don't know how the Browns are are not past that threshold by now because a game like last week, the kind of season they've had, the unique kind of uh, letdown of, of this team, a team that had so much talent. And you can say like, oh, it was stupid to put all this hype on the Browns, but it doesn't do anything to lessen the fact that that talent is there that objective talent is there this team is objectively underachieving like basically none any of us can recall uh with that much talent i guess they could you know summon a good effort once but sure seems like they quit and i i don't know how you even stay focused even if you wanted to on a team like that where everything is so dysfunctional you know no matter how much work you put in it will go for less than your opponent's work will go for and freddie kitchen's it looked like that team quit on him and you know sometimes teams quit and then they play a little harder the next week i don't know how going against baltimore is the kind of team to bring out like i can imagine them playing hard for the first couple drives but then i think it'll be like oh yeah reality sets in and everybody's like yeah actually remember last week when we quit let's quit again and uh, i think yeah maybe maybe like the first quarter but after that i i think this just gets out of hand because baker mayfield odell beckham not working well together the offensive line is trash uh, the coach is just a buffoon. Everything about the team is a joke, basically. And uh, home or not, I, I I think they will fall apart against a real team. Yeah, and the Ravens have basically retooled their defense on the fly since this since the yeah. first uh, Cleveland game. They've since added Marcus Peters and LJ Fort and Josh Bynes um, and a couple guys along the defensive front there to, to get the defense uh back it's settled because the Ravens defense was shaky during the early portion of the season but it has played much better of late in my opinion so Cleveland won't have as easy of a time moving the ball here uh the Ravens should account for Ricky Seals Jones uh and not forget about him like they did in that first game but if they do that I I imagine that the Ravens will take care of business here 10 points is a lot but the Ravens do seem to be playing the best football of anybody in the league right now so check out Freddie Kitchen scratching David Njoku like that your the team's best players are not able to get onto the field for whatever reason it is like I don't even care what the reason I don't care if David Njoku uh, brought an assault rifle to practice like it doesn't matter like that that this scenario is is at all happening where one of your most talented players is, is unable to be activated on sundays that's just a coach who has completely lost control like this is a, this is a ridiculous uh bad show this is just bad oh it's it is absolutely insane i, I can't believe it. i think you know maybe part of the reason why this whole or not maybe in my opinion i think the whole kitchens thing has been a driving force behind this browns collapse oh, God, i think yeah, that he's yeah. just he's, way he's in a, so a, far over his a, head takes good players makes makes them useless like you you cannot take a player as good as odell beckham make him useless and then pass the blame onto the players like odell beckham is not he odell beckham played under cam cameron at lsu sure cam did cameron <laughs> anyone who knows who cam cameron is knows that this is pretty insane when you can observe cam cameron couldn't stop odell beckham but freddie kitchens could when uh the ravens uh in 2012 when they fired cam cameron they went on to win the super bowl 
Yeah, it's like I, I would say there has been no one worse, but there's been Freddie Kitchens. Yeah, man, Freddie. What are you doing, pal? All right, before we get on to our next game here, we got a message from our friends over at Armchair Quarterback. Armchair Quarterback is a real-time game where you predict the next play during a live football broadcast. You know what the next play is going to be. Predict it and earn points. Climb the leaderboard and increase your chances to win tickets and other prizes. It's the perfect way to make watching games more exciting. We have a special league for all RotoWire subscribers, and we'll be posting the leaderboard online and be mentioning them here. This week, we're playing to the Vikings Packers game on Monday night. You can also form your own league with your fantasy friends. The full schedule and game information is available at armchairquarterback.com. Armchair Quarterback, make every game bigger. We also got a message from our friends over at Yahoo. For sports and betting fans in the New Jersey area, this is the moment you've been waiting for. Sports betting is available today on Yahoo Sports and the Yahoo Sports app powered by BetMGM. Yahoo Sportsbook powered by BetMGM allows fans nationwide to view betting odds across a variety of sports and users of a legal age to bet in the state of New Jersey can click through the odds to place bets on BetMGM. New users 21 or older in New Jersey can make their first $10 deposit and receive $100 in free bets. Go to betmgm.com slash yahoo to get started and for full offer terms and conditions. Also, Yahoo Daily Fantasy continues to launch new fantasy contests every day. Visit yahoo.com slash daily fantasy to enter an NFL, NBA, or NHL contest today. All right, let's move on over. We got Indianapolis going up against Carolina here. Indianapolis just got completely pantsed on Monday night. I think that uh, things have been trending in that direction with, with Indianapolis towards a collapse. I just don't think that it's a, a great team, really. I, I think that you know they're not super, super far away from from being a competitive team once again, but there's just been so much working against them throughout the course of the season that a beatdown like Monday nights almost felt like it was due. And then with with the Panthers, just a, a team that I, I continue to be completely unable to make sense of. But uh, Will Greer time, so there at least there's that. Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough one, Will Greer versus Kyle Allen because. You know, they played Kyle Allen ahead of him this whole time. Generally, that looks bad for Will Greer because Kyle Allen had 22 turnovers in 12 games. And, you know, he makes some of these nice throws that people were so impressed with a few weeks ago. But the uh, completion percentage, the yards per pass, not nearly good enough to justify the turnover tendencies. And the team also had an institutional incentive to be biased toward Will Greer in any competition because drafted the third round pick on him. Kyle Allen was just some afterthought who uh, they probably signed from like another team's practice squad late uh, two years ago or whatever. Just not the same. Guys like Kyle Allen are supposed to lose every competition they're in because there's always a third rounder (laughs) that they're competing with who the team intervenes to rig the competition for. They declined to rig the competition for Will Greer. Uh, the way they would in most cases like that. And uh, Will Greer is 11 months older than Kyle Allen. So Kyle Allen, he was a, b- a bust in college. Like he, was, he had something like six good games as a true freshman at Texas A&M, and then he was basically bad forever after that, including at Houston. But Will Greer is, is a little interesting because he's the third-round pick, yes, and he was much more productive in college, especially at West Virginia but he's going to be 25 in uh, April, I want to say. And that's something that's such a high age for a rookie that 
I look back at his production at West Virginia and I basically cross off the last year of it because it's like, you're whatever. Congratulations, Chris Winkie. You're, you're better. <laughs> you're better than these 19 year olds in the big 12. Uh, so his senior season at West Virginia, which to be fair, had really great numbers. Uh, that, that kind of production is hard to find, but it's easier to post those kinds of numbers when you're going to be turning 24 pretty soon. So, I think that Will Greer, if we're going to evaluate him on his stats in college, it would have to be his junior year when he was 22 at West Virginia. And in that year, the touchdowns that were there, the big yardage, the high completion percentage, it was all there. But there were also a lot of turnovers. And I'm guessing that's where his real problem area is because he almost has to be at least as good of a downfield passer as Kyle Allen. Like Kyle Allen just seems really uniquely bad at that. So you have to believe he can match that. And I think of everything else that Kyle Allen has done and his high points, there were some nice looking throws. Yes. But it's like he was dependent on conditions that basically never happen and being bailed out over and over by his receivers. So if Allen was so bad all this time and yet he still had a few useful fantasy games, then I feel like Greer should be able to do the same thing, but it also might get kind of out of hand with like four interceptions on 25 passes or something like that. I don't think it'll happen in this game. Uh, The Colts, uh, almost gave up the you know quite literally most perfect game ever to Drew Brees. Uh, one pass out of thirty <laughs> he managed to go incomplete. Whoops. Yeah. So um, you know if it's that kind of defense, I, I guess Will Greer should be okay. But uh, yeah, that that kind of stuff you know, could be Brees. It could be all credit to him. But either way, it's like whatever whatever fluking conditions led to Brees's big game. I don't expect them to carry over for Greer. Um, if you have DJ Moore, I wouldn't worry about him though. Cause his target volume is so high and he was still oftentimes not that efficient on a per game basis with Kyle Allen. Uh, but you know, again, even against Washington going against Quinton Dunbar, the whole game or most of the game, I should say ended up with a good fantasy day because he had 12 or 13 targets or whatever. I just don't think that Greer could possibly be so bad as to not be able to throw the slant type routes that DJ Moore tends to run. Um, Curtis Samuel, I think it's like, it can't be worse than Allen, but I'm not expecting improvement just because those are still high difficulty targets. And uh, for all I know, Greer might throw more interceptions targeting Curtis Samuel than Curtis Samuel has catches in this game. Oof. It, it's that's like a worst case scenario but it's you know kyle allen started ahead of this guy for 12 games how good can he be yeah that's a that's a really you know fair point to to make there you know allen gave the panthers plenty of reason to make this move a lot sooner than it actually did yeah definitely and on, on the colt side it's it's like you were saying before they've fallen apart they uh they had their high points this year but it's like even in their wins even when things were going well since the luck in retirement, it's like you pretty much knew they would have to outsmart every single team that they beat. Like they never go into a game with an advantage. And uh, this might be an exception. I mean, they're six and a half point favorites, Marlon Mack or whoever the running back is. It doesn't matter. Naheem Hines should be able to run for big yardage against this Carolina defense, which also might be without Shaq Thompson. So if you're the Coles, I think it's pretty simple. It's like you're just trying to run and get out of this season. I think you could still like T.Y. Hilton as long as he's practicing clean this week because he had nine targets on the 30 snaps or whatever. Uh, if he goes to 45, 50 snaps, he should stay at six-plus targets. And, uh, you know, I, I, even with Jacoby Brissett looking awful, I feel like T.Y. is the kind of player where if he's getting that kind of target volume, especially in PPR, 
you kind of just defer to the role and the talent and hope that it all works out. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. So keep an eye on Hilton and his practice report participation uh, heading into the weekend there. Uh, but I don't think that there's anyone else that I would be targeting from that uh, Indianapolis also, passing game. As far as the Greer question goes, Danico Autry, Malik Hooker, Kenny Moore, Quincy Wilson, all out of practice as of today for the Colts. So maybe maybe he could do a... I don't know, 28 of 30 against this Colts defense, something like that. My God. All right. Let's, uh, you know, speaking of just garbage, I think there's no better um, segue than to now go into the Bengals versus the Dolphins. A game that has been. You're going to say the Jets and the Steelers, but we got a few (laughs) of these folks. We got a few of these good ones. Yeah, this one's been circled on the calendar among the, the dumpster divers among us for quite some time. I think once it became glaringly clear that these are two of the worst teams in football by a, a fair margin uh that we would be get treated to this in week 16 anyone, i'm excited yeah. anyone who has ever boiled denim that they found <laughs> i uh, burned myself on a rivet <laughs> yeah th- you've you've circled this game you, you weren't reminded of it by somebody else you've you've been waiting this whole time for it and uh as long as the weather isn't too windy or rainy down there like this Miami at Miami is a good spot to target, of course, because of the defense, but just because also it's like a 50-degree temperature uh, margin between them and some of these other games. But as long as it's kind of a nice, comfortable game setting, I feel like even Dalton should be able to get going in this game. And if he doesn't, it's probably just because Mixon uh, did so much first that they never threw the ball anyway. And that could definitely happen. Mixon's getting the ball a bit more reliably lately, and he's running well with it. But if Dalton has time to throw, then, you know, Tyler Boyd, Erickson, John Ross, whoever, they should be getting open. So that's kind of interesting for DFS tournaments and uh, season-long leagues. If you're having bad quarterback luck, like if you got here somehow with Jared Goff or something, it's like I'd definitely go with Dalton, no doubt. Okay, Fitzpatrick on the other side, of course, looks fine with him. So, uh, yeah, two bad defenses. Uh, the Bengals tend to be pretty up-tempo uh, I don't, I, it'll be interesting to see on the Miami side if Patrick Laird's struggles as a runner have opened the door for Miles Gaskin, who I think you can say like he's the best runner at running back on that team, and then Laird is the best pass catcher at running back, almost like a you know homeless man's version of Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler. You, know, you got Gaskin, <laughs> and Patrick Laird, and uh, either one of them could do something interesting. Like I think Gaskin actually has some talent as a runner, and Laird has some talent as a receiver. To be serious. Uh, it's just kind of hard to tell what their intentions are and how situationally dependent their usages might be. With Laird, I guess you would have to say he has the much higher floor, especially in PPR, because A, is the incumbent, and B, uh, if Miami falls behind or something, he would, if anything, get more involved, uh, whereas Gaskin might just kind of disappear if they fall behind a touchdown or something. Okay, and then moving you know, into the pass-catching group here for Miami, uh, who is there to like beyond Parker? Who is questionable? Yeah, I don't know. What is Parker? It's not the concussion, is it? Uh, it's got to be uh, A hip. Oh, okay. Um, well, that still sucks, but at least it's not like an aggravation of the concussion. Uh, Albert Wilson has been the main slot guy. Alan Hearns tends to play the slot when it's not Wilson. Uh, the corner, Darquez Denard, is the toughest for the Bengals, and he's in the slot. I still think William Jackson has a lot of talent, but the results haven't been there this year. So if Parker's in, uh, that's good for him. If he's out... Uh, then it's i guess isaiah ford and alan hearns at the outside and you got the uh let's see um you got um isaiah ford 
probably playing more outside than Hearns, but if if Parker is out, I think you will generally see like a Hearns Wilson Ford loadout. And I'm interested in Isaiah Ford, but I don't know if I like him. And I I, I think you can both like Isaiah Ford for what he is and what his uh, pedigree is, and still acknowledge like there's no realistic possibility he's as good as uh, certainly Devonte Parker. Um, but we also can't take for granted that Ford is, you know, better than Hearns. Like he might, that one good game that he had might be the best one of his career. I don't think it is though. I think he's longer term going to be better than Hearns eventually. And if Parker is out, maybe he has a chance to show it this week, but, uh, generally would feel much better about that passing game if Parker is in. All right. I think that is probably sufficient uh discussion of this Bengals dolphins game let's get on to another tough watch potentially here uh, we got the steelers going up against the jets uh what can you say about the steelers uh, right now because the offense is just a non-starter like it is painful to watch um hodges needs to uh just do some sort of insane wind up to get the ball even you know 15 20 yards down the field uh, i felt like several times last week and there were several times because of all the interceptions where the bills secondary players were were able to get into position to where they needed to make the play and then they could like check their watch you know see, see what else was going check twitter real quick and then you know turn around put their phone away and then go ahead and make the play on the ball just because it took so, just so comically long for the ball to get there down the field yeah he's coasted by with some easy matchups and some just kind of busted plays where things turned out favorably like the james washington long touchdown against the browns uh, deontay johnson this is already like four weeks ago i can't remember when uh, but he he had a couple plays where it was just kind of like coverage broke they got open easy and uh i know people got their hopes up for hodges just because his numbers at a glance did look good but if you watched him play he looked horrible the whole time and I think there's more regression ahead still in his numbers. Like he has a completion percentage just under 68 at 7.5 yards per pass. I understand, like especially before the four interceptions last week, I can imagine I can understand someone who hasn't seen him play glancing at the numbers, thinking like, "Oh, this guy must be pretty good." I mean, he's a rookie. He's got five touchdowns to two interceptions. He's completing 70 percent of his passes. This guy really, this this guy might be the answer. And it was like I. I didn't expect it to go quite as badly as it did against the Bills, but uh, he was due for some heavy regression because he was just really lucky on a small sample size. And it's like the sample size is getting bigger in some unfavorable settings. Uh, This Jets defense is less threatening than the Bills one, but it still might be the kind of defense that Hodges has trouble with because he's going to... uh, You know, he's not going to get much from the ground game, or at least I don't think he will. Like the Jets' run defense has been good all year. And... I can imagine Hodges correctly identifying where he needs to go with the ball in this game because uh, the Jets are probably going to give him a lot of like press, single high safety kind of looks. And I think he'll do a good job of figuring out, oh, Washington has the leverage here, Johnson has the leverage here, whatever, and he'll, he'll know where he needs to take his uh, risks, basically. But I just don't think he has any talent as a quarterback, so I don't think it's something to take for granted that just because he's going against a bad pass defense that he'll do especially well. And if they shut down the run, if the Jets' defense shuts down the run like they tend to, the Steelers might just kind of have nothing going in this game. But I think that will describe, like, the first half or so. And I think that the Pittsburgh defense is enough better than the Jets' defense that the difference between Hodges and Darnold 
might not matter that much and because because i can't see darnold doing anything against the steelers defense either i don't i mean maybe he could uh, i still believe in darnold long term but i just think the steelers defense is still very good and i don't think darnold has much help uh, as much as he has a few decent players around him I, I feel like steelers defense should overrule the jets offense and the jets defense should overrule the pittsburgh offense but i am more i have more faith in the pittsburgh defense creating turnovers and, and gaining field position advantage over the course of the game so i think it might kind of look with between the Steelers and the Jets a lot like it did between the Bills and the Steelers where it's like for the first three quarters you're like this game sucks no one can do anything and eventually one side gets a little more tired a little faster than the other because they're just not quite they don't have quite as much ammo and with the Steelers you see a lot of guys who can create turnovers create sacks with the Jets it's like you know they've defended the run well this year but you're not even really sure how or why it's like they just don't have playmakers aside from I guess Jamal Adams right so I think when it comes to the Steelers side of this I think you you phrased it right where the Steelers could create some turnovers here I think the Jets could be gifted some turnovers here and with that that could be the story of this game so I actually like the Jets to cover this one because I I just think that Hodges is that much of a minus I I want to take a different interpretation while still agreeing that Hodges is that much of a minus I just feel like uh Hodges Hodges is more likely to get some help sooner than Darnold because uh I think Connor's you know a decent player at least and I think that Washington and Deontay Johnson are tough covers for the Jets whereas uh whereas I'm worried about Devlin Hodges not getting the ball to his open receivers I'm worried about Darnold having no open receivers to throw to in a blitz that hits him before they do get open the few times they do so I think it'll just be ugly either way like the team that has the worst turnover uh, figure loses probably because it's just going to be a competition of failure yeah and i mean that's baked into the over under here we're, we're seeing a 37 uh so that's tied with the patriots bills game for the lowest of the week one of the lower um totals that we've seen all season so ugly ugly matchup there uh let's get on to the saints going up against the titans saints two and a half point favorites on the road going up against the titans titans need this one but you know saints do as well yeah uh this is a tough one for me I can imagine this being a shootout or a low-scoring game because they can play. But like I think the Saints are built to play either style. I don't think the Titans are built for a shootout. I think the Titans are built for a shootout, but like they don't know how to drive the machine. Like they, uh, okay. they've yeah. got AJ Brown, and I know Ferkser had that ugly interception fumble last week, but that might have been literally like the first bad play of his career, and he was really productive on a per-play basis before that. Johnny Smith should be one of the most productive pass-catching tight ends in the league. They just use him like a fullback because they're stupid. But, yeah, Johnny Smith, really good. A.J. Brown, obviously a monster. I still think Corey Davis could be good if they used him, but they just don't really for structural reasons. But I don't know if going against Drew Brees, especially after the game that he had, maybe that leads Tennessee to have a little bit more of uh, an inclination to to play, you know, more pass-happy, more up-tempo. But... I can also see a guy like Vrabel looking at it the exact opposite. Like I can imagine him saying, oh, well, Drew Brees is their quarterback. We're going to really want to slow things down so he doesn't get on the field. And, uh, you know, maybe Brees needs to get on the scoreboard to change Vrabel from that kind of atavistic mindset. So I don't know. I, I don't think Brees is as good as he's been lately. Like I know he's put up big numbers, but I just I see a few plays that he does really well and that the defense doesn't stop. And, yeah, it's easier said than done stopping it. 
But we remember for years now Breeze having these you know big games like this. By years, I guess I mean two or three. And then coming back down to this baseline level where you know very clearly he is not the player that he was four years ago. And I feel like he's going to come back down uh, to that setting here. I don't think it's in the nature of the Titans to push things aggressively early. So I think it'll be like a slow starting game. Uh, maybe, uh, and, and don't get me wrong, like I, d- I don't feel strongly about any of these things. I have a tough time reading this. But I feel like it's going to start slow with the scoring mostly happening in the second half after the, both teams kind of stop, especially the Saints, stop trying to like force the run. Um, but yeah, I just, I just don't see how the Saints really hurt you this year if you contain Thomas. And uh, Kamara's due for a big game. I guess you have the uh, revenge game against the state of Tennessee, uh, <laughs> where he kind of has legit, like, he's got to make the state of Tennessee pay for hiring Butch, Dave, uh, Butch Jones um, and making him play behind. Jalen Hurd. Yeah, so <laughs> that's uh, that's the revenge game on the slate. No one else is a revenge game this this week. Yeah, last week was so was such a rich tapestry of revenge games. We had we had so many games to choose from there. I didn't notice uh, I should have thought of this. Brashad Perriman against his dad's team. Oh man, I f- it was right in front it. of us. Blew it, and we had spent so much time on revenge. And we, oh, gosh, I am. I'm beside myself about that, but um, I mean, moving back to Camaro for a second here, like going to, to play against the army base that you were born on, or something, you know, like yeah. it's, he was he didn't live in Detroit, but he probably hated it because you know, yeah, just easy one, not missing, not making that same mistake, and this isn't quite the same, but Kamara is the kind of like the I, same. I like the idea of taking revenge on an entire state like that too, and you know, uh, by extension, it's not just the University of Tennessee, just because the Titans are under the purview of that state. It's it, just on the way there, <laughs> all that good stuff. Um, do you really think that he gets it going here? I mean, it's been as a frustrated Camara owner. I don't know what to do with him at this point. Like, I'm, I'm not taking him out of my lineup by any means yeah, here, yeah, but man. yeah, I, I don't know, man. And this is touchdown regression to the most extreme degree. Yeah, he's he's like running back Mike Williams this year, and that's something that you know you you have reason to believe that it is temporary. But like, how sure are you? How much might this outcome be based on him being less than a hundred percent, or some other detail of the Saints' offense being slightly dysfunctional and? You know, as much as the law of you know regression would make this temporary and some timeline, we don't know if that timeline is this week. Like the, it could correct in week seventeen, or it might not correct until you know October of next year. I have no idea. I don't see anything about the matchup that's prohibitively bad, but this is a defense that's more good than bad. So if Kamara has a big game, uh, a I'm thinking it's you know touchdown based, and B I guess. I guess I'm imagining that they cover in that case and that, that things aren't going that great on the Tennessee side because um, I just don't see, see them getting diced up. I don't. I, I guess I should see um, if, it, if a Dory Jackson is in, that would help them a little bit. Not that it matters. I mean, Michael Thomas will beat whoever they put ahead of him, and I think it would normally be LaShawn Sims more so, but still, uh, a Dory Jackson doesn't seem so great to play. I didn't practice today, did practice on a limited basis on Wednesday. Don't know if that indicates 
uh, setback. But he's the best corner, so if he's out, that makes things a little easier for the Saints. It's just more burden on, on the Titans to account for his absence. Yeah, exactly. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, let's move on over to the Redskins going up against the Giants. Uh, battle of two, three, and 11 teams, so a bit of jockeying for draft position here. Or bragging rights. Uh, I don't really know what to make of, of either of these teams at this stage here. The, Redskin, the Redskins, two-point favorites in this one. Yeah, uh, Haskins did a lot better last week, but that was also a lot of Terry McLaurin doing damage after the catch. He's ridiculous, man. Yeah, and you can at once say, well, then Haskins got lucky, and then also say, but he can get lucky two games in a row here because, I mean, DeAndre Baker, Sam Beal, and uh, Corey Ballantyne might be one. Like, it's unfair to them that they're playing, like, this much. It's uh, DeAndre Baker... Uh, should have been more like a fourth or fifth round pick instead of a first rounder, and they sh- they should have gotten him on the bench when it was clear that he couldn't play. Uh, but after cutting Janoris Jenkins, they just have to give snaps to these guys, and and you know I, I think Stephen Sims matches up well. I think Kelvin Harmon matches up well, but McLaurin can obviously just run away from people in a way that few players can. So. Uh, just just get that slant to him, Dwayne. Can you throw the slant? That's all we really need you to do here. Just throw the slant successfully. Throw it, baby. And then on the Giants' side, you know, it's a favorable matchup for all of their receivers or pass catchers as well going up against these Redskins guys. Yeah, we'll see about Dunbar. Dunbar missed the last game, and I think he would normally be Slayton's matchup. So if Dunbar's out there, I, I'm giving him a heavy advantage over Slayton just because rookie receiver against uh, top 10 sort of corners it's a tough ask and then you also have reason to think that even though he didn't do much last week golden tate and uh, sterling shepherd should both be able to get open faster than slayton like even if slayton can get open against dunbar he's unlikely to do it as quickly in a given play as tate or uh, shepherd do against their much easier matchups so i'm kind of pessimistic on slayton but he's really good and the matchup wasn't that great for him or at least uh the setting was probably better for Tate and Shepard last week than it was for Slayton, and Slayton still managed to find the end zone. So he's really, really good, but it feels to me more like a Tate or Shepard kind of setup here, Saquon. Maybe. And yeah, I was going to say, does Saquon, uh, you know, completely make his fir- first overall pick thing worth it this week if it, or with this matchup? Uh, I mean, if you made it this far and it's your championship week, maybe. But yeah, generally it's a busted season for him. I think that he's been different since that Packers game. Like I, I know the numbers weren't there in that game, but he looked more explosive. And then last week, the, the easy matchup afforded the production aspect to come into play too. So I think he mostly keeps it going here. I don't really expect Daniel Jones to play, but I guess we'll see. If he does, I don't even know if that would be good because presumably he'd only be like 75-80% healthy on a high ankle sprain. But, man, Eli sucks. And that (laughs) touchdown that he threw to Golden Tate was like the worst touchdown pass I've ever seen. Just hideous optics. I can't believe uh, they didn't cut him like six years ago. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, the New York Giants. All right, let's get on over to the Broncos versus the Lions. Weird game. Weird, weird game. Um, we got the Broncos seven-point favorites in this one. Broncos uh, 
Drew Locke, you had the smell out for it. I fell for it last week. I, I thought that the, Bron- that the Broncos were maybe going to be able to give the Chiefs a little bit of trouble there. That was a little nope. weird of a setting, though. I mean, sure. Mahomes apparently is not affected by snow, but no. all other football players are. Well, he's just immortal in, in general there. So um, it, maybe he just gets stronger with the snow, honestly. Who knows? Denver should, in any case, be a much uh, more helpful environment for Locke. I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of gets comfortable again in this one because uh, between the snow and the Chiefs defense just being kind of tough at Arrowhead and, and yeah Locke was sloppy even as he put up big numbers against the Texans but I think you can you can be sloppy against the Lions I think I don't think it's a big deal if you want to be sloppy against the Lions it's a good time to be sloppy when these guys come in and that who knows uh maybe maybe the the elevation makes them a little goofier yet I have no idea but you don't need them to be like I think even if this was in Detroit I'd like um not in the sense that you know I'd want to play him in any particular league, but if you're in a two quarterback league or even super flex, you know, this, this is the easiest matchup that Locke will have. And uh, the Detroit defense, because it is so profoundly unable to disrupt or rush the passer, doesn't matter how good the coverage is by Justin Coleman and Darius Slay. It's like your receivers got, I don't know, eight seconds to get open. He'll find a way eventually. And the quarterback will still be looking for him when it happens. So I think that Locke could have a nice game here. Uh, but if he does, he'll need to be explosive because I, I just don't think it's in the nature of, of the Broncos uh, this year, Locke being a rookie, to call more than 28, 30 passes in a game. So uh, Locke could have a good game and still only get like 210 yards passing or something because he didn't throw it that much. Okay, interesting, interesting. And then um, on the Lions side, what what do we make of this no, matchup? Okay. Um, I don't know. Like Galladay matches up pretty well against some of these corners, and even if it's Chris Harris. Not that I – not that I would take for granted that Harris shadows Galladay, but if he if he does, like Galladay's huge. Galladay's faster than him. Uh, David Blau. This is kind of interesting. That's you know two rookie quarterbacks who both play like F it, I'm going deep uh, ball. Blau kind of lost some of that moxie last week. Couldn't really get it downfield very much, but uh, yeah, maybe the elevation makes it go a little farther here. Maybe he can get it to Galladay. Uh, in garbage time if nothing else but uh generally like not much on the lion side and then quite a bit on the denver side it's like Cortland sutton i think green light there and philip Lindsay. i mean i don't want to i don't want to unreasonable give him unreasonable expectations or anything but if he doesn't have a big game here i'm just kind of stumped okay because yeah because uh, this lion's Lions team yeah sucks it is not good i the the Broncos backfield has been a bit of a blind spot for me this year, but I'll defer to you on that one. Um, so Wes yeah, Hills is one of the worst running back prospects. Like he's probably better than Rob Kelly prospect wise, but uh, that like be it, it. is that Wes Hills like from Maryland? Wes Hills slip. Oh uh, wait, maybe he did. St- um, Wes Mills, I think wasn't that. Wasn't, I don't know. I'm trying to try to uh, find that. He was at Slippery Rock. Wes Hills. Oh, he's on Detroit. And yes, he is Slippery Rock. Is that the Maryland one? I, th- I don't think it is. It must be different. It must be a different yeah, West Hills. West Hills has an insane story that makes no sense, and I was really surprised to see him show up in the box score last week. Um, I don't think he can play. Okay. <laughs> so nothing to see I didn't there. I Scarborough was hurt or anything either, though. I totally missed that. But, yeah, when I saw, like, West Hills touchdown, I was like, what the hell is wrong with my browser? <laughs> 
Uh, it says Wiss Hills is playing for an NFL team and that he scored a touchdown. Um, but yeah, he's he's a really old prospect who was hurt all the time in college, and he was like they tried to hype him at the Senior Bowl a little bit because it was just such a bad class. But looks like he wasn't even able to work out before. It was Delaware that he transferred from and then played it. Uh, I'm quoting this slippery rock. So well then, made up school that you'd maybe just make up. Uh, it's some kind of scheme <laughs> ah, i'm from separate rocks eh? um okay all right let's move on uh let's get on over to the chargers and the raiders here uh chargers seven point favorites going up against the raiders chargers playing at home sure i don't know whatever uh looks good for eckler and gordon and keenan allen and mike williams i love watching DeAndre mike williams Washington. play deandre he's fun this could be good for volume reasons but the raiders suck yeah it's not going well in Oakland, so I think we're starting to get the sense that maybe Derek Carr, not the quarterback of the, the future there. I don't know. There. I, I, okay. Derwin versus Darren Waller. What the hell is the Raiders going to do with, about that? Like, I, don't, I don't think they go anywhere. No, no, I don't, I don't think... Chargers uh, fans will boo Derek Carr, just like, not because... Well, Derek Carr will feel right at home then. Yeah, they're just going to be like, you're actually, you're offensive for so many reasons go get out of here go put on your eyeliner sir all right yeah let's let's scrap that one all right let's get on over to the cowboys going up against the eagles uh cowboys one and a half point favorites in this one in philadelphia uh cowboys you know once again you know they showed up last week uh right when you were ready to to write them off uh i'm using that in the general uh sense not like you specifically um i definitely thought the rams were had more at stake in that one i thought they were going to come in and, and get the w but uh, the cowboys you know we've seen it at different uh points this season they can look really really good and they can also look really really bad so this is a spot on the road going up against the eagles who barely escaped against the redskins a week ago and also delivered one of the most infuriating covers that I, i've seen in quite some time nigel bradham so mad all skilled <sighs> um yeah i don't I don't know what to make of this. Dak Prescott dealing with a shoulder injury is not a new detail that makes me feel any better about Dallas. He, he was dealing with things to both of his hands before that. Uh, the matchup is good. I mean, the Eagles still can't run a defense. Their, their pass rush flickers and their, their run defense is pretty good. But the pass defense, they've just got no answers for it. And Amari Cooper on the road, I don't know if there's anything to that. I don't know if it really is as simple as, like, he's soft. He's only good in Dallas. I'm inclined to mostly think that will even out with time, but uh, if it doesn't happen here, then maybe I take it back because it's not going to get much easier than the Eagles, and 40 degrees in Philadelphia this time of year is about the best you can hope for in terms of weather, so that's not a valid excuse. Yeah, Cooper and Gallup should be getting open a lot. Cobb should be a viable target. Blake Jarwin should be a viable target. I don't know about that shoulder, though. I mean, what if... What if Dak's shoulder is irritated enough that it makes the Eagles go from terrible pass defense to only slightly below average? And what if that like tips the whole equation toward the Eagles? I don't really know. Uh, but, man, that Dallas defense, it would be pitiful if they really gave up much in this game because um, like Miles Sanders is putting up big numbers lately. I think a lot of that has been densely uh, concentrated in favorable matchups. I don't know if he's actually that good and i don't know if they would i think they would benefit from jordan howard being back but obviously boston scott's done pretty well in a different sort of role uh even though he has more or less replaced howard's spot in the game uh plan 
so I, I don't really know what I expect from them, but I feel like Wentz needs more help at receiver than he's gotten to keep up with. If Dak's 85%, I guess I'd take Dallas generally, but it's, I don't know, Dallas's coaching is so bad. They're so innovative with the ways that they can disappoint. Like, the things that should not possibly go wrong, they find a way to turn into an explosive situation. Yeah, they fail in new and creative ways. Yeah, it's it's just... There's, there's all these rules, these trends that you can cite that explain all these historical events, and just not many of them apply when you're talking about the Cowboys for 60 minutes of regulation. It's like they can just pull whatever it is off. Uh, that you, whatever it is that you had in mind and thought they couldn't, they can. And that includes the winning scenario, but it's like they generally don't do what anyone counts on them to do. I, I know, and it's it, it puts me in a, in a tough spot here because I've been – just such a doubter of this Eagles team for, for the bulk of this season. I, I just feel like there's something off with them, but you know, this makes me you know, put my money where my mouth is like, I have to trust Dallas here. I've, that makes me feel extremely queasy in you know, in and of itself there. So I really am torn on what to do here. And I think it's, it feels dumb to say it, but I think I will ride with the Cowboys going up in Philadelphia and getting a key victory late in the season, which is just an insane sentence that you know, I need a bucket. Carson Wentz's number one receiver is Greg Ward. You know, we do love Greg Ward, though. Yeah, this we, is a Greg Ward podcast. Yeah, we do like Greg Ward. I just, I just thought he could be eased into this whole <laughs> NFL starting receiver yeah. experience a little more slowly, like, a, like. Have a couple of weeks as the number three, Greg. We got you. And instead of like, Greg, we need you to be all Sean Jeffrey. Yeah. Can you do that? And maybe maybe you can. I don't know. But uh, Dallas, you know, they're, they're stupid, but they've just got better players. Yes. Yes, they do. So I, I will end up siding here with the Cowboys. Let's get on over to the Seahawks going up against the Cardinals. Seahawks obviously going to be without Josh Gordon now. Uh, the Cardinals coming off a, a good-looking uh, victory against the Browns. Uh, did you see the tweet? Someone said it that, that Kyler Murray runs like a two-year-old to just knock the lamp over. Uh, I didn't see it. And I, I thought it was kind of funny. I'm trying like, to go through my like, is his 35-yard run. Right, right. I saw, I saw that. I just, I was trying. I'm trying to remember the any times that I've seen like children running into lamps and then running away. And I'm, I'm not drawing that footage, but at least I'll know what. To, like, if I see a two year old running like Kyler Murray, yeah, that's Kyler Murray. I know what you're going to do. Yeah, exactly. So, just did. <laughs> yeah, my God, my lamp. Um, Someone on the internet told me about this. I've seen this before. Uh, but yeah, Kyler. Uh, didn't need to do a whole lot last week. You'll notice that Larry Fitzgerald had three catches for 43 yards in the first drive and then finished the game with that, too. Um, Kenyon Drake going against a defense that quit. You know, he's up He's up to it. He's. I, I think Kenyon Drake is good, to be clear, but it's like, yeah, the, the Browns quit. Yeah, are Kenyon Drake in the third-round picks? Who's who's laughing now? Yeah, I, I, was, I was the smart one. Um, yeah, the, God, dude. Kalen Bellage was started over... Drake. That's a real thing that happened. Folks, you remember him? Don't don't understand this world sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, this the Seahawks in Seattle are going to be the opposite of the Browns last week. Like they are going to extremely not quit. And uh, I think you know, ten points is a lot. I don't really want to I don't want to bet on a team that runs as obsessively as the Seahawks on winning any game by ten. Uh, but Kyler going to that environment on the road, I mean if Clowney is able to play I can imagine him having just like a pretty ugly game there and they they don't 
they don't respond to that offense the way he's been seeing other defenses. Like he's catching on to things, I'm sure, but the Seahawks are going to just stay in their four three and run a bunch of zone coverages and have like KJ Wright and Michael Kendricks covering Larry Fitzgerald, things like that. So Kyler saw how teams like, he, like he's learning how the NFL works against nickel defenses. The Seahawks aren't going to give him nickel defenses. Okay. He's going to have to like read the zones correctly and anticipate the zone blitzes correctly and. He's going to have to, you know, manage the pass rush and the noise while all of this is happening, and he's going to have to just interpret and stay calm and interpret correctly, and then still be accurate, you know. So, it's it's a lot I think that could go wrong for him. But the Seahawks have trash at corner, and I don't know if uh, I guess I should pull this up. Shaq Griffin missed last week, and he's really good. The other corners are really bad. Um, so, let's see. I'm trying to I think you know he's it, probably back in this game. If the Seahawks were to cover this game. That would that would make up a large percentage of what their point differential on the whole season is. They're they're ten point favorites here. They have a point differential of plus twenty six for the entire season. They play with fire a lot. So I actually like the Cardinals to find a way to cover in this scenario. Right. If the Seahawks even averaged like thirty two pass attempts, well, I haven't looked at the numbers. Maybe they do average that this year. But normally they aspire to throw something like twenty five passes in a game. So if they were a team that threw it thirty five times, I would say like, oh yeah, they'll cover ten. But I I can imagine them. Uh, having like a three-point lead in a fourth quarter where they have 250 more yards than the Cardinals and Chris Carson puts them up like you know barely at the end even I just can imagine uh, yeah the game being having a closer score than it is in real competitive terms uh, but if, if Seattle does cover 10 then it's because Murray had you know like two more turnovers than he did touchdowns right so and I don't think that he will be be that turnover prone even in this either. in this situation I see so three and outs but not really turnovers yeah he's he's careful so I, I like the Cardinals to cover there but the Seahawks obviously to win because they need to keep winning here um, in order to uh, hang on to that number one spot in the NFC there are three teams uh, sitting at 11 and three right now so pretty wild stuff going on we're, we're gonna have a really good finishing stretch there in the nfc uh let's get on over to the sunday night game a game that i cannot believe did not get flexed but here we are uh we got the chiefs six point favorites against the bears yeah uh i would guess that bad mitch comes back maybe not that bad of mitch especially if they keep running with him because that'll that'll make up for the interceptions in a hurry but even against a Kansas City defense that I just don't think is certainly isn't balanced like they have their their ups and their downs but I feel like Mitch if he's good should be able to take advantage of that inside linebacker personnel uh, get some rushing yardage but if he has to throw the ball and if the game script puts pressure on him that way uh, I don't know I can imagine it going south pretty quickly and david montgomery man i don't know if there's something to uh you know how you know how in baseball it's like you want to get uh, if, if you're looking for batteries you want to get the hot game because then the ball travels faster in the air i almost wonder if it's like david montgomery in the cold gets slower or something because i was watching that game last week and he he just looked sluggish he looked uh like he looked like a running back in terms of height weight lean and everything like that but he just moved like a fullback or something Oof. i don't know if it's because the ground getting cold like sinks or like grips his foot like an eighth of a second longer than like a warm grass would or something i have no idea but he, he seemed to have very heavy feet and so even though this is a good matchup i don't know i don't know what i expect from him not this is not literally just because of the cold by the way it's like i just i just don't think montgomery is that good and i 
can imagine the script getting out of hand pretty quickly if Mahomes plays anywhere near his normal level. So uh, I guess I would rank Cohen ahead of Montgomery in this game because he'll definitely catch passes in that script scenario, whereas Montgomery uh, might kind of just disappear. But if they do keep a close game, he'll get the carries. I just, I'm skeptical they'll go very far. Yeah, I am too. So that, that's been the uh, the story often um, in his early career. Uh, one interesting detail coming out of Chicago, I think, has been Anthony Miller's ascension of late down the stretch. I mean, uh, coming off his second 100-yard game, in the last three weeks um, has touchdowns in back-to-back games looking impressive uh, I'm you know as someone that uh, was in on him but was concerned by the, by the rookie year um, I'm I'm back in yeah he's a good prospect he's supposed to be a good player I don't understand why they didn't use him more in that first month of the year but uh, against Green Bay that was just target driven like 15 targets uh, you know that's any receiver, pretty much any receiver who gets 15 targets is going to give a useful game. But uh, the inefficient outing is justifiable because he was going against Tremont Williams, who's been one of the better slot corners in the league this year. Uh, the coverage should be fine against Kansas City, and the target volume also, uh, especially if Taylor Gabriel is out again. Has he been declared out again? I know he wasn't practicing as of yesterday. I believe um, he's questionable. Yeah. So- Non-participant as of Thursday. Okay, that's not great for Gabriel, but if Gabriel's out, then Miller's getting eight targets at least. Okay. So you can just lock it in. Yeah, yeah, so that, again, like you said, is useful even if he's not the most efficient guy with Imagine it in this situation. much easier yeah. against the Chiefs than the Packers, though, so I, I think you, you can be optimistic on both fronts. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, so let's, uh, let's round things out here. We got the Vikings going up against the Packers. Obviously a huge game for NFC North. Uh, implications Five here and a half points wow that's a lot Did to trust that that's a lot to trust with kirk cousins it is in a big uh, game man, that's let alone a, a monday game. night game man, that's really tough that's a lot of freaking point in a no dalvin cook game five and a half and rogers in a dome like man i don't know if it feels like the packers could win this one outright let alone uh, just cover it i mean i would take the the vikings to win just because i'm not sold on that green bay offense but five and a half i feel like that's that's like that that's that's making it so that you need rogers to have more turnovers than cousins i feel like just because i mean mike boone which i guess we got to talk about boone. yes please um i don't i don't know if i'm convinced that madison is actually out like I, he wasn't practicing today so that's a bad sign but um like mike boone is this guy who if you asked me before this year i would have said he's better than madison um and i still on some level believe that but by now i at least would say uh, madison is a better pass catcher than boone and maybe this is not reasonable uh, thinking on my part but it's like i just looked at their college production and as far as that goes and uh boone is in his healthy seasons easily more explosive than madison he played it uh, in the AAC, Madison played in the Mountain West, so they're both lower level than than the big schools, but uh, arguably tougher to run in the Mountain. I mean, it's probably but uh, tougher to run in the Mountain West where Madison was than or was the Big East that Cincinnati was in. Anyway, some stupid non American uh, Athletic, yeah, AAC. American Athletic or the Big one of those stupid things at various points. Uh, Boone was really explosive early in his career, then he got hurt forever after that, and his numbers fell off. But he's definitely the good numbers version when he's healthy and last week uh, i mean might just be the setting but that was you know he had a, he had to really answer the call there it's like cook was actually hurt madison was actually hook hurt they needed him 
to to do what he did, and he came through with two touchdowns and wasn't exactly dominant on the ground, barely over four yards to carry, but he can run. Uh, I don't think he can match Madison as a pass catcher for some reason just because the, the, the per-target numbers at Cincinnati were not so great, whereas Madison was really good in that capacity. Um, but Boone is super explosive. Like The Green Bay run defense hasn't been great this year. Boone can run on them. I, I really think so. Uh, but I uh, don't, don't know what I expect from the Cousins part of it. You know, it's like Diggs and Thielen, they're great, but those Green Bay corners and safeties might step up and play tough, and if they do, Cousins isn't going to make up the difference. Can you can you trust Thielen at this point? No. I mean, it's it would be really good for them to have him out there and be himself. I don't know what is a reasonable expectation, but, I mean, if he can't contribute, then I have no idea what this – I don't even really get the minus four. It's like – I feel like this is a field goal game, whichever way it goes. Okay. Yeah, so this is – yeah, the – trusting the vikings with five and a half like you said with the with the conditions in play here with a you know not uh not up to speed not 100 percent adam thielen or even if he's fully healthy like still maybe working out the kinks in terms of game conditioning and then cook obviously uh his replacements being several steps below what he is as a rusher here it, it makes it uh tougher on cousins to be certain and he needs all the help that he can get generally yeah and i don't like as much as I think that the home and away thing can explain a lot of his numbers, I don't think it explains all of it. And I, I certainly don't look at it as a well. He's at home, so it's all clear. It's like if he's at home against a bad defense, I feel clear. But if he's at home against a good defense, it's not like the home part overrules the good defense part for me. No, exactly. So the, this again, like you said, is a tough course uh, field for Kirk Cousins. <laughs> and, and again with the baseball, sheesh. Um, but all right, that's going to wrap things up. For today's show, from Mario Puig, I'm John McCagney. Thanks for listening to the Rotowire NFL podcast brought to you by Yahoo and Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports. Good luck in your Week 16 matchups, and have a happy holiday, everyone. Yeah.